Welcome to a rerun edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans, and it's just such a crazy week here on Capitol Hill with CR fights and Virginia's on the border. So this week we're going to take a little break, but we wanted to make sure that you still got some PW in your life. So we're going to rerun maybe one of my favorite episodes. That is our fifth anniversary special where Kelsey and I really reflected on five years of Problematic Women are some of our favorite Problematic Women of the Week. I know you enjoyed it, and I know that you will enjoy it again. Let's go. Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kelsey Bowler. So we have a very special episode for you today. It is so special. So special. Uh, something that I don't, when we started this podcast, I didn't like really ever imagine we would get to five years. But this month marks five years of Problematic Women. And to celebrate this, we are throwing out the script. We are doing a really fun show, and we have the original problematic woman, Kelsey Bowler, in studio. Kelsey, thanks for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. This show is going to be pretty entertaining. I think we can promise that uh, Lauren and I, over the past couple of days, have been looking back at its origins. Often we get asked, what inspired the show? Why is it named Problematic Women? Well... If you're not aware of the full story, we have that and then some. Oh, yeah. There's a very interesting and hilarious twist. twist. Plot (laughs) twist. Just wait for it. (laughs) Well, before we get to the show, I want to remind you, please take a moment and subscribe to Problematic Women. We have at least five more great years ahead of us. Does that sound sad? At least five more years. <laughs> What's happening after that, Lauren? That's what happens when we throw out the script. But make sure you subscribe to Problematic Women on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and give us a five-star rating. It really does help us get noticed by more women. It's so important. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Okay, Kelsey, I want to just paint the picture on how Problematic Women started. You actually came across an article in Elle magazine that was titled, How Do We Criticize Problematic Women? And you wrote a rebuttal in The Federalist that was just absolutely hilarious. So I want to take a minute and just have you read through the article. It's not very long. Just to give a flavor of where we started from. I think that's a great idea. Again, I get asked all the time where the show began. And this article is its origin. So buckle up. (laughs) It's so fun for me. A little bit scary to read something I wrote five years ago. Five years ago. When exactly did this come out? It came out June 27, 2017. And we started the show after this published because this article kind of blew up. It blew up so much. <laughs> the Federals made t-shirts. Like People were just retweeting it like yeah, crazy. It, it became its own identity. Uh, and I think listening to it, uh, you'll know why. Yep. It um, very much is still relevant today. So here we go. Here, let, hold on. Let me set you up. Let me set you up. Nasty women target problematic women. We're not going anywhere. Read by Kelsey Bowler. (laughs) So dramatic. (laughs) Nasty women move over. There's a new brand of women in town. They're called problematic women, and they're appearing everywhere from the workplace to the White House. Problematic woman is a term broad enough to include any conservative or right-leaning lady. But a quick Google search will surface names like Megyn Kelly, Kellyanne Conway, Theresa May, and Ivanka Trump. 
not to be confused with feminist icons who overcame stereotypes and sexism to land successful careers. These women are problems who need to be fixed. Armed with reason and born with a uterus, problematic women are dangerous and difficult to dismiss. Problematic women are known to speak their minds and resist the nasty women narrative, rejecting a culture that's anti-male and obsessed with victimhood. Instead, problematic women tend to favor a more traditional approach to women's empowerment in which they embrace biology and consider themselves a product of my choices rather than a victim of my circumstances. At time, problematic women, too, fall prey to sexist stereotypes and attacks, creating an uncomfortable scenario for those sporting the pink P hats. You know what P stands for. Do they defend her? Do they ignore her? Do they continue criticizing her at risk of getting called out? This inconvenient reality creates a conundrum for those pushing the nasty woman narrative, which supposedly stands for tolerance, equality, and victimhood for all. In order to address this pesky problem, one brave writer at L so bluntly asked, how do we criticize problematic women? Quote, no matter what she did at NBC, it would have been a mistake to make a feminist hero out of Megyn Kelly, Sadie Doyle begins. When we saw Megyn Kelly primarily as a victim, she was framed as a blameless heroine, and her actual ignominious track record was overlooked. When we see Kelly now as primarily a conservative propagandist, which is what she is and always has been, that victimhood is mostly erased. The truth is, I, too, would have loved to watch Kelly's feminist awakening, but that hasn't happened, and a woman can, of course, be problematic and be a victim of sexism. Both lionizing Kelly and dismissing her abuse are ways to avoid this central truth. In fact, Doyle, the author, continued... Kelly is a part of a flotilla of unsympathetic ladies who have been thrust into prominence during the Trump administration. There's the Instagram feminism and message-tested complicity of Ivanka Trump, who is often cast as a spoiled bimbo rather than the canny and ethically bankrupt opportunist she appears to be. There's Melania, a longtime apologist for her husband's birtherism, there's Kellyanne Conway in the Internet's brief yet fraught debate about what feminism owes her. Don't waste your sympathy, Doyle suggests. An attack on a woman's physical attributes is justifiable when her politics are wrong. Quote, we should not weep for Theresa May or any other conservative women whose policies contribute to the continued oppression of women and minorities. The author concludes... Even the most moon-eyed believer in feminist sisterhood must realize it's all got to stop somewhere. Any harm done to Kellyanne Conway by calling her Skeletor is vastly outweighed by the harm Conway has done and intends to do to the American people, unquote. Speak your mind, the feminist sisterhood likes to say, march for your beliefs. But if those beliefs don't fall in line with the far-reaching feminist left, don't expect the sisterhood to defend you. The idea that being born as a woman means there's only one way to vote is as reckless as it is irrational. Whereas standing up for your principles used to be admirable, women now tell each other to get in line. Strangely, the notion that women must think and believe in perfect unison doesn't hold true when paired against the feminist movement's own history books. On controversial issues such as abortion, feminist leaders have again and again disagreed. But today, discussions and civil discourse have long disappeared, erased and replaced by the pulpit of the pink hat. 
problematic women a la Megyn Kelly, Kellyanne Conway, Theresa May, and Ivanka Trump can't be reasoned with, let alone defended. These women are problems that can only be overcome. Some women might be tempted to resist this new name, but instead they should wear it with honor. Being a problem, after all, is how this whole feminism thing got started. So make room, nasty women. Your problems have just begun. Oh my gosh, Kelsey, I love it so much. <laughs> Maybe even more than I did back in 2017. So I am always so hard on myself after I do media or I write a piece to the point where it's sometimes I, hard I to read. I could have told you that five years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sometimes hard to read or write. When I went back and read this article, I had to give myself a pat on the back and say that was pretty good. And it was great. Ironically, just as relevant today as it was when I wrote it, if not more. More. I would say more so, especially the Megyn Kelly piece. Remember, this was probably right after she was her show was canceled. Yes. Um, and now she's huge in the podcast world and she's really definitely a problematic more problematic woman. than ever. Right. Um, yeah. I t- it's and, hilarious. And and Kelly and Conway. And, and so the, the whole premise <laughs> we, we found so funny at the time because, you know, this this whole show was built around the hypocrisy of the feminist left, which claims to support and champion women. But of course, uh, those those ideas stop when the women who should be championed has inconvenient beliefs or political opinions. And so they face quite a conundrum when they know in their hearts they should be Supporting someone like Megyn Kelly and all she's overcome in her career and Kelly and Conway being the first woman to run a successful presidential campaign. Mm. Uh, but they can't do that. And they, they basically said the quiet part out loud in this article <laughs> <laughs> that like, what, what do we do about the fact that, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty hypocritical for criticizing them. Yeah. And remember, this was the original Women's March was... January of 2017. It was right after Trump was elected. Yeah, our our former president's inauguration, and we were definitely in a different time in our country back then. This was this was the mainstream narrative. I mean, the Women's March really has lost a lot of steam, and and I think shows like Problematic Women have been a big part of that. And so, yeah, Kelsey, saying the quiet part out loud was exactly what I was going to say about this. Is that they were admitting that they they only support women who fit in who their fit uh, in their box. Yeah, who will vote the right way. Yeah, and um, you know that of course goes against everything conservatives believe. You know, I support, you support, we all support women having their own opinions, even if they disagree with us. The point is being able to have a voice and, and vote and speak about what you believe. And uh, you know, at, at the time, I was obviously working for Daily Signal, but I became friendly with some people over at The Federalist, uh, which is how this piece landed up there. And Brie Payton was one of them. And so some of our listeners might be wondering how Brie became involved in the original co-host with me on this podcast. And for those who don't know, Lauren was producing it behind the scenes. Mm. So Lauren's voice is one you've only heard more recently, but she has been been here since day one helping to produce this show before she uh you know became more forward facing so lauren i'm gonna ask you a question about that in a minute but i i want to acknowledge and give credit to um brie payton who um you know 
totally took this piece and took this brand. We thought she would be a fun guest to have on the show when we came up with the idea and uh, Remember, she was so excited about this article. She was the one who had the Federalist Problematic Women t-shirts. That was the first piece yeah. of PW swag that we ever had. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's just once we got in a room with her, um, her and I just had such a natural fun back and forth. It didn't feel like a job. <laughs> uh, it was really a labor of love. And it was I'm so grateful to the show for bringing me so close to Brie Payton. Obviously, that comes with so much pain. Um, In getting Brie's voice out to so many people, she really was able in her short life to make such a deep impression of how genuine and how kind and how smart she was. Um, And I'm so blessed that we got to show just even a portion of her light on this podcast. Yeah, I I joke she regularly would. You know, we'd be talking about Kanye West and then she'd whip out something about Winston (laughs) Churchill or or something. She was so smart and well-read, well-versed in um, her readings and education. And I know, you know, these episodes can be hard for us to go back and listen to with her voice on it. Uh, I've talked to her mom about that. Um, But it is so special to have her voice Mm. Um, you know, still there to listen to when we miss her, which we miss her every single day. Um, One of my favorite pictures that I have is of Kelsey, Bree, and I. We were covering the Kavanaugh hearings. I tweeted it a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and it's all three of us, and we're doing a selfie, and I have a camera in my hand, and, you know, Kelsey and Bree look absolutely gorgeous as always, but in the background, there's probably three dozen women, like angry leftist angry. women with like duct tape on their mouth. And we're just, you know, in front of them smiling. Why are they so angry oh, all know. the time? Can you imagine being so angry and mm. resentful? No. But speaking of, <laughs> Lauren, tell us the update on the author of the original <laughs> L magazine piece that inspired this entire show. Well, so when we were decided to do this and we went back and looked at this Kelsey's article and then that led us back to the L magazine article. And we, I actually had the idea of like, let's make whoever wrote the article, the problematic one of the week, right? Cause she was the one who inspired all of right. this, right? We, uh, we owe her a lot of gratitude. gratitude. So I, I kind of started going down through that rabbit hole and I, I don't know whether or not it's like <laughs> it's funny not, or sad. You can't even make this up. The, you can't. The woman who wrote this article now on her Twitter has he, they pronouns in their Twitter bio. So the woman now identifies as a man. We weren't sure if we could still make her problematic woman of the week. I would make the argument we can because she's still a woman. Yeah. I. We have a really good one, so stay tuned. Definitely uh, way more deserving of the title, but... Yeah. But, just, uh, but of course, like, like only somebody who is this seeped into this toxic ideology to write a piece like that would end up identifying as a man. I mean, it's, you know, we, it, you want to laugh, but it's sad. Like this, this woman is clearly struggling to decide to reject her basic biology and identify as a man. And, you know, a quick look at her Twitter feed. Can I read this? Her so her latest project is a rape revenge folk horror feminist sea monster comic. Again, that's a rape revenge folk horror feminist sea monster comic. <laughs> Again, oh I don't know if they're to laugh or to cry. 
And so, but like without her, we we wouldn't be we here. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have this show. Yeah. So so thank you to Jude Doyle. Um, I hope you're doing great wherever you are. Wait, we, Jude, we, is that her name now? Is that her new name? Yeah. That was oh that because was her, when she wrote her. the piece, it was Sadie Doyle, as I quoted in my original piece. Oh, but you know, obviously that's common if they. Oh yeah, they must identify. have changed it on okay. Elk because it says Jude Elson Sadie Doyle. See, there's the Sadie. Oh. 2022 Isn't for you. Isn't that quite a plot twist? Again, I don't know whether to laugh or to cry. I mean, we think about all that has happened in five years. And, you know, in addition to me giving birth twice, the original author of the original problematic woman piece now identifies as a man. <laughs> as much as we think our lives have changed, we have remained the same gender. Right. <laughs> well, Lauren, okay, before we wrap this segment, I want to get in a quick question. Um about you moving from the production studio to the microphone. What's that been like? Uh, it's been really fun. It's been really fun. It's uh, a little scarier than I think I gave you guys credit for. I've just be like, come on, let's do the show. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really take a lot of preparation um, and putting yourself out there, which is, is scary, but... It's so worth it every week and to get to meet people and interview people. And now that we get to do the show on air, because really before, back when, when Brie was one of the co-hosts, my favorite part of the production process was always we'd be sitting in your office and it would be just the three of us just pretty much doing the whole show before right. the show. <laughs> um, and now we get to do that on the air it's just it's it's a blast and i'm so grateful to have problematic women as a, an outlet every week well you are on the record and i'm not gonna lie it sometimes scares me to think how many hours and hours of podcasts exist that if anybody wanted to dig through my past and find problematic things that i've said this would probably be a good place for them to go first <laughs> but be proud because we're not i mean you know we have outlines that we follow but we're generally unscripted like you know we're, yeah. we're just talking about the news and the hypocrisies of the day and you know the policies that are problematic for women and the policies that would help women um so you know hopefully i didn't say anything too <laughs> problematic but i always think you know if i at some point in my career what if somebody goes digging they'll have a lot of podcasts to listen to <laughs> a lot the Media Matters intern will be very busy. Yes. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break, but we have more Kelsey Bowler in studio to talk Problematic Women's fifth year anniversary. Stay tuned. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. All right, welcome back, Kelsey. I want to go rapid fire here. So who are some of your favorite problematic women of the week? I think my favorite problematic women are the ones that people don't know. And I hate to say it's hard to remember all their names, but it's just um, 
everyday women who became problematic in standing up for their beliefs, whether it was on the life issue or, um, you know, the biology issue, which is I just sometimes can't believe is an actual issue right now. But that's one thing I've loved that we do in this show is take stories of everyday women and girls who are bravely speaking up for the truth and elevating that bravery and ensuring that we all know about it so that we're all encouraged if faced with the situation where you do have to stand up and speak up. You know you're not alone, that many other brave women have done it before you. And I'll put some names down. Marion Jensen, the mom out for Blount County. Katrina, who was one of the students who was first at the Supreme Court when the Dobbs decision was leaked. Rebecca Stowe, who's a faithful listener of Problematic Women and now a great friend who wrote a book and we were able to highlight her book. So, Kelsey, you're so right. I love these personal stories and these women that we're really able to highlight. Yeah. And okay, if we're naming names, I'll say one more who's not just an everyday person because she's also a writer and author, but our girl Sue Ellen Browder. Oh, stop. (laughs) If there was a goat, like a Tom Brady of problematic and that's for you virginia when you're listening if there was a goat of problematic women the greatest of all times it would be sue ellen browder she's a few years wiser than us uh (laughs) but she wrote this amazing book that had a huge impact um on both lauren and i called subverted how i helped the sexual revolution hijack the women's movement she's someone we traveled out to wyoming together to meet imagine being so awesome that People would just be like, okay, I will go to Wyoming to come and see you. (laughs) Uh, But she has this really fascinating backstory of writing for women's magazines such as Cosmopolitan. I don't think she wrote for Elle. I could be wrong. Um, But she tells the story of how she actually made up this feminist propaganda to push these policies and it was, you know, nothing but a bunch of lies, but she actually got so sucked in personally that she ended up when she was uh, married choosing to get an abortion. And it's something that she has had to live with her entire life. She since converted to Catholicism, sought redemption and forgiveness and speaks very vulnerably about. So I really recommend her book to any young women I talk to because it had such an impact on me and the way I think about feminism and honestly I think is uh, just so fitting for the show and the themes that we Mm. talk about she has a beautiful voice I love elevating it Um, sometimes I wish she wasn't in Wyoming and I could (laughs) just like you know go get coffee with her every morning (laughs) (laughs) well and just for our listeners I will put the documentary in the show notes so make sure after this episode you go ahead and listen to it Kelsey we're really not good at this rapid fire (laughs) sorry sorry No, no 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 okay next question what is your favorite moment recording problematic women oh I'm not good at rapid fire. Um, I already shared mine, but I'm, that means I just get to share my second favorite Okay, now. you share yours first and then I'll go. I already shared mine. I can share my second favorite. Okay. So we were covering, I believe it was either the second or the third annual Women's March. And it was me, you, Bree Payton, and Bev Hallberg. And we were doing a Facebook Live. And it was the coolest thing. So I was just standing still with the camera. And Kelsey and Bree and Bev were all running to get interviews. And so it was like watching like a dance it would just be like somebody would walk up they would do the interview that person would walk away and then the next person would walk up and it's just really cool to kind of see that work together and without even saying anything how um that could just piece together and even going back and watching it it just 
it, it's such a nice, you think of like how cold it was and just to be there to to laugh at these women together was just such a fun day. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can point to one particular moment. We I went to the White House. I just, that was amazing. And we interviewed Ivanka Trump. Um, I just look back at the episodes and feel like I grew up on this show. Mm. Like I, I look younger when I started. You weren't even married when we started. <laughs> I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. Um, and I I see my own evolution and, you know, I hope that through the show we were vulnerable in sharing some of our own personal journeys. I, I feel like as a show we've we've lived together, we've lost together, mm-hmm. we've laughed, we cried, all the cheesy stuff, but we really have. Um, and, yeah, I'm, yeah, I just feel like I kind of... You love every one of them. I... I mean, when I think back, I just, I just like you, I think of those days doing show prep with you and Bray in my office. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Final rapid fire question that we're not doing very well being rapid fire is every interview we do, we always ask the question, do you consider yourself a feminist? Why or why not? Because I want to know, since we started the show to now, has your answer to that question changed at all and why? Well, since I can't answer a rapid fire, I'm going to say no, but yes. I still identify. <laughs> That's a good rapid fire answer. <laughs> no, but yes. I still identify as a feminist, a conservative feminist, but I always have to have an asterisk attached to that because obviously the left's definition of feminism is completely twisted. It's been hijacked. I, The reason I still identify as a feminist is because I think it's so important to give credit to those first and second wave early feminists who fought for true women's equality when equality didn't yet exist under the law. I think of someone like Sue Ellen Browder, who was actually fired from her journalism job for being pregnant. And I think, you know, had those women not waged those fights before me, I would have to be fighting them now. And by identifying as a feminist in some form, I see that as me not only acknowledging but giving thanks and gratitude Mm. to the feminists who did that before me but i think uh, not think i completely reject what the feminist movement has become i vehemently disagree with it and in fact i think for our generation is caused more harm than good in terms of the hookup culture, the sex mm. without consequences, um, you know, the girl boss culture, which basically shames moms into working 110 <laughs> um, percent instead of being at home with their children, some of whom would rather do that or just find themselves a work arrangement where they could have a more flexible schedule. So I think the feminist movement has been extremely damaging for our generation But instead of just outright rejecting it, I am of the camp that we need to reclaim it, take it back, and use it for good. Mm. Now I'm going to twist the tables and ask you. My, 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 how the turntables. Twist the tables, (laughs) turn the tables. We're we're off script. (laughs) No, Kelsey, I will try to be brief. And I I agree. The more that we do the show, the more likely I think I am to describe myself as a feminist. Just because I meet all these amazing women who I just love and admire and I just... Again, we love we love our men on problematic women. We we don't we don't think women are better than men, but I just I'm so energized for the the future of this country and for the women of this country. 
Um, and I, I really want to do all that I can to empower these women, the ones that I talk to on Instagram, the one that I meet at conferences, the one that we interview. But at the end, of the, but I think you're right. We do have to separate it from kind of this vile feminism uh, on the left. But I'm willing to take that word for all its history and, and just plant our flag in it. And we are problematic women. And, you know, the first step in doing that is protecting the basic definition mm. and meaning of women. Mm which is so ironic that it is the modern-day feminist movement trying to erase Race and degrade women. that. So that's what we're up against. That's why, Lauren, we're going to have at least another five years at of least. this show. <laughs> Hopefully more. Hopefully more. Well, we're going to take one last quick break before we name our Problematic Woman of the Week. Stay tuned. If you're tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger and bigger government, It's time to partner with the most impactful conservative organization in America. We're the Heritage Foundation, and we're committed to solving the issues America faces. Together, we'll fight back against the rising tide of homegrown socialism, and we'll fight for conservative solutions that are making families more free and more prosperous. But we can't do it without you. Please join us at Heritage.org. Welcome back. It is now that time of the week, my favorite time of the week. Time to name our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to... The one and only Genevieve Wood, our first... First. Ever Problematic Woman of the Week. You know, it's such a handful to say Problematic Woman of the Week. And for those who don't... I mean, how would they know? But in shorthand, when we're emailing about this, like, who's our Problematic Woman of the Week? We write... P-W-O-T-W. <laughs> Which is still so long, but it really is true. It's like, who should we make the P-W-O-T-W? Question mark. <laughs> it's something that, you know, I know the meaning of, but and I almost would like use it in everyday lingo, but nobody would actually know. But now they know. Yeah. We're making it a thing. Yes. Well, Genevieve was our first guest, like Kelsey mentioned, and she just happened to stop by the studio today, and I asked her a couple questions about that first episode. <laughs> Listen to that quick interview. Jenny Wood, welcome to the show. I cannot believe it's been five years. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's completely crazy. Yeah. And, wow. And if you remember the first episode we did, it wasn't even a podcast. You were in the TV studio with Kelsey doing a Facebook Live. Yeah. I don't know if what it means that we've taken the TV element away and now we're only <laughs> behind microphones. No, yeah. Well, I mean, it just shows you. I mean, we, were, we did Facebook Live all the time now. Now that's... That's so five years ago, whatever it was. Um, but no, but it's great that it's turned into the podcast that it is and, and found an audience that I think it reached actually more people. Oh, 100%. And I think to podcasting, people listen to their earbuds and they're cleaning their house they're, or it's in their car. And it's just so much of a more personal experience than Facebook Live where you might have it on in the background of your browser. But we did so many Facebook Lives back then, no, remember? We did tons. But you know what? It's easier to listen to because, frankly, what we were doing, it wasn't about video and show. Mm-hmm. We were talking about ideas and yeah. talking about yeah. issues and talking about what was crazy in Washington. <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to see that. Mm. You could just, A, people just know it's crazy. Uh, but, no, you, I think when you're talking about things it's all, that are idea-generated, it's almost in some ways audio is better because yeah. you, you can just really listen and think about it as opposed to trying to throw in graphics and all the other things to make something entertaining when the ideas themselves, frankly, are entertaining. And so back then, 2017, President Trump really just started his term. And, you know, the Women's March was kind of this hot new thing and everybody was wearing those pink hats. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a place where Roe versus Wade was just overturned. What do you think that says about the direction of America? And are you hopeful for, for women finally standing up and, and – families taking a resurgence in society? 
Well, you got to be hopeful, right? Yeah. If you're going to be in this job, you got to be hopeful every, every day. No, I just think it shows, you know, you just can never give up. I mean, mm. and, and forget just the last five years. I mean, that movement was 50 years, right? Yeah. Uh, but it does show you, A, what a difference uh, an administration, a presidential administration mm-hmm. can make. I mean, President Trump added three judges to that court that are the reason Roe yeah. v. Wade happened. Uh, but now you also see what happens when now the Biden administration comes in. And, you know, there are a lot of other issues where he's taken the country in a whole different direction. So you got to get up every day and fight. You, you know, it's as the, uh, Ed Fulner, the, the founder of the Heritage Foundation, uh, was famous for saying there are no permanent victories mm. or permanent uh, defeats in Washington because you have victories, but you got to keep fighting for them. And you have defeats. But you can overcome them with a victory. But you got to get up every day. There's there's no permanent victory, no permanent defeat. Genevieve, that is why we named you Problem of the Woman of the Week of this very special episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Don't you just love her? I just remember the the first time I interviewed her, she was so giddy and surprised that we named her Problematic Woman of the Week. And that's what I love about that segment of the mm. show, that it really is a hilarious honor for women, most of them are right-leaning, to be crowned the Problematic Woman of the Week. Like, they wear it as a badge of honor. They get it. And that is what the show is about. It's making you feel empowered, not degraded, for being problematic and standing up for your beliefs. I couldn't say it any better. And Kelsey, I just want to underline before we go how important the show is in our lives and how important the relationships that we've created. Like I love you and I love Virginia so much and I love our listeners. And I hope every week they really just feel that love and that comfort that we're we're here. We understand where you're coming from and that kind of honor of being problematic. Absolutely. Lauren, you're getting all gushy on us now. I know people. I I I love you too. (laughs) Like don't tell anybody that I'm actually nice. I always joke about that on the show. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> well, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Please don't subscribe and share. And Virginia will be back next week with a script, so do not fret. I think you just said please don't subscribe and share, but I would I would encourage people well, to subscribe and well, share. Well, I was like trying to be like, hey, don't do that. You won't. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> we dare you. We double dog dare you. No, really. All yes. of your support makes a huge difference. We wouldn't be here without you. And thank you for sticking around with us for the last five years. You know, I hope to make regular appearances going forward. But it's been a fun ride. It's been a great ride. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.